I was in college, I worked at a valet company. I was parking cars at an upscale restaurant in the Orlando area. And one evening, this nice car rolls in, and these young ladies get out, and I run over, and I take their keys and hand them the valet ticket and park their car and run back. When I get back to the valet station, all the guys sitting there like, whoa, you're so lucky. And I'm, what, what happened? You know, what, what's going on? There? Do you know whose car you just parked? I said, no, I have, I have no idea who that was. And they're like, you got to be kidding. Come on, Steve, I know you know. It's like, no, really, I got no idea. Who was that? I said, that was Mandy Moore. I said, whoa, who's Mandy Moore? <laughs> and they explained to me that she's some singer, actress, and everything, but I had no idea who she was. And it felt like in the weeks following that her name just kind of kept popping up, you know, the Princess Diaries was kind of recent, and the albums that she had done, I guess, were popular, and I just started hearing her name. But I had no idea who she was. You know, studying the Emmaus Road gives me some confidence. I find it encouraging that these guys, they're walking, they're walking around, they're leaving Jerusalem, they're sad, confused, they're trying to make sense out of life because they just don't get it. You know what? Sometimes we just don't get it either. And looking at these guys' examples and just seeing them that in that moment where they don't get it, where life is confusing, where they're sad, where they're kind of hopeless and they're just on their way out of there, it's in that moment that Jesus shows up. It's in that moment when when Jesus comes alongside them and he walks with them. And he just journeys with them. He asks questions of them. He, he listens to them. He waits for them to invite him in, to stay with them. And, and then he, he prays before them and he serves them. He models the life of the Father right in front of them. So uh, we're going to conclude our series this morning, this versus that, on the Emmaus Road. Uh, Luke 24, verses 30 through 35. Luke 24, verses 30 through 35. It was when they saw the resurrected Jesus, when he broke the bread, when he modeled to them. It wasn't when he explained everything. It was when he modeled the life of the Father to them that they began to realize that it's Jesus. And then they hightail it out of there, run back to Jerusalem because he's everywhere. So uh, let's go ahead and check it out. Luke 24, verses 30 through 35. When he, Jesus, was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed. And has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. See, it is true, he is alive. So, in this week six of our journey on the Emmaus Road, and some have said it's been a deep dive, you know, this one little passage, we've really gone into it. Well, understand there is no depth apart from application. Okay, apart from application, just to hear it and say, oh yeah, I agree with that. That is the most shallow form of Bible study, even a misuse of the scriptures. So the depth of seeing Russell and you just kind of pour into the lives of Varuses and other situations where it's being lived out. And so we've used the Emmaus Road as a lens just, just to look at our world 
and ask, okay, how can we share Jesus? How can we impact people? How can we understand people's worldviews? And how, how do we just go and engage people where we live, work, study, and play? And so how do we do it the way Jesus did? And what did Jesus do that kind of makes sense that we can apply? So that's what we've kind of been, been looking at. And as this is the last uh, sermon in this series, we just want to reiterate some of these points for us. Um, the first thing, just so we don't miss anything, was that how Jesus walked alongside these people, right? He didn't just show up and stop them and say, hey, I want to explain some things to you. He didn't do that. He joins them on their journey. He walks with them. He's engaged with them. He's going where they're going along the way. He came alongside them. He journeyed with them. And that kind of leads us to reality number two. He listened well. He's asking questions of them, questions he already knew the answers to, but questions. He's, he's getting into their lives. He wanted to hear it from them. So, so what's your take on all this? I mean, one of the world realities in our world today is people are starving to be heard. I read this week there are over 500 Facebook users. Okay, that would make it, I mean, if you want to think of it this way, like the third largest country in the world, just Facebook users. Why? Because people want to be known. People want to be able to share their stories. They want someone to share their story with, someone to, to like it and say, yeah, that, that's cool. Jesus models for us that we don't really know someone until we know their story, until we can hear their worldview, until we let them speak and kind of hear the way they're thinking. And Jesus asked them what their conversation was all about. What are you guys talking about anyway? And they say, they look at Jesus, they say, are you from outer space? I mean, have you been living under a rock for the last few months? I mean, have you not heard about everything that's going on in Jerusalem? And Jesus, obviously the main part of everything going on in Jerusalem, turns back to them and says, what things? Right? What things? What's he saying? I really want to listen to you. I want to hear it from you. What was your perspective on everything that happened? See, in a world that so often wants to talk at us, Listening well is an act of love. And as you hear people's story and as you ask them questions and you, you hear the way they think, it says something about the way you see them, about how you value them. And then they may some, say something like these friends said. These friends reveal a little something about their worldview, don't they? They say, we had hoped that Jesus was going to be the Savior for Israel. We had hoped. And sometimes you'll hear the same type of language in the conversations that, that you're having. I had hoped that this relationship was going to be the one. I had hoped that I was going to get that job promotion. I had hoped that with this success that life would just get easier. I had hoped that this, and it reveals something about the worldview. I mean, that's the moment that they've just shared their worldview with you. Where they think happiness will come from, where they think joy will come from where they think peace and stability and security and all these things will come from. I had hope. And when you hear language like that, that's a, that's a moment that you can step in. And so Jesus listens to his friends share, and then he's able to just be a part of their story. He's able to share with them. He said, your story was this. You were going from Jerusalem to Emmaus because you're hopeless. You thought you, you, you thought that Jesus was going to be this political, military, 
Savior who was going to come in and free you from the oppression of Rome and then Israel would be strong again. The story is so much bigger than that. Jesus came not just to free you from the oppressors of Rome. Jesus was sent so that you could be free from your sin. And so in the death and resurrection of Jesus, he's saying that sin and death itself was conquered. Not just the Romans. It's so much bigger. It's bigger than you ever realize. And so this kind of brings us to the third reality that we've kind of looked at, that Jesus waited to be invited. He says all this great truth, and then they're stopping for the night. They say, hey, it's late enough. We don't want to walk any further to, to Emmaus. We'll camp out here. And Jesus acts like he's just going to keep on walking. And he waits for them to say, hey, Jesus, stay. It says um, that they urged him strongly. It could be translated that they compelled him by force. So they said, no, Jesus, come on. You, you got to stay here. We want you here. And remember, at this moment, they still don't even know who they're talking to. They, they, Jesus, as he shared the story, he didn't even say, and by the way, everything that the prophets pointed to, that guy's me. I've already risen from the dead. You're talking to the risen Jesus. He doesn't say that. He's waiting for them to get there. And then Jesus, the invited guest, he sits at the table. He breaks the bread. He serves them. He prays over everything. He models the relationship that he has with the Father. He just lives out this love for them that just naturally flows out of his life. And see, we had the opportunity to live out our faith in a loving way to people every single day, in a way that speaks much louder than words oftentimes. And so under the watchful eye of the world, as we engage people and we develop friendships, you know, they'll, they'll say things like, you know, I've never met someone like you before. Or, you know, the way you interact with your kids, how do you, how do you can you help me out? I've seen the way that that you and your spouse interact together, man, it seems like you guys really got a great marriage. What, how does that work? You've, you've always got this joy at, at the job, and, you know, our boss is kind of crazy, and yet it doesn't seem to phase you. What, what is all this about anyway? You're, you're not, you don't complain like everybody else. Peter writes that always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have and to be able to do that with gentleness and respect, to be able to give this defense so that when people come along and they ask you, hey, What's different about you? Why does this happen? That you're ready in that moment to give the answer. And if people aren't asking, then is your life really marked by that hope? Or have you learned to be able to detect what it is they're saying? Have you, have you learned in those moments, okay, this is what they're really saying. They don't understand this. And so this is my opportunity. And we don't have to know all the answers. I mean, the blind man, you remember him. I don't, I don't know much, but the one thing I do know is this. I was blind, but now I see. And the story of all Christians, hey, I know this. I was lost, but now I'm found. Jesus wasn't lost. He didn't need me to find him. I was lost, and Jesus found me. He came from heaven to find me. This is the story we all share as believers. And so then... We just say, hey, let me tell you about what Jesus has done in my life. Paul said it in Thessalonians, I am delighted to share, you not, share with you not only the precious gospel, but my very life with you as well. Why? Because the message and the mission go together. 
the message, the good news of the gospel, and the life of Christ in, expressed through us go together. The message and the mission go together. And so now we're at the climax of the story, kind of that exciting part that we've been waiting for. The eyes of the friends are opened. Their hearts are burning within them. And what does Jesus do now, right? Now's the time where he's just going to lead them in a prayer, right? To say, hey, you got you to pray this prayer. Fill out this commitment card. You know, walk this aisle. Raise your hand. You, you got to do this now. You know, at least sing one more stanza of just as I am, Jesus. He doesn't do that. In that moment, Jesus disappears. He's gone. They look up after he prays, and Jesus isn't there anymore. Why? Because he trusted that the work he was supposed to do was completed. He trusted in the work of the Father. See, we've got to trust that God is at work. We've got to trust that we're not the ones who are going to bring about salvation in anybody's life. It's God who, who does that miraculous act. we just got to be faithful to share when we have those opportunities. And so Jesus, he, he has them, right? Their, their eyes are open, their hearts are burning. He's shared the gospel story. He saw the lights coming on, but he doesn't have to try to emotionally manipulate them in any way. He doesn't have to try to pull on their heartstrings or anything like that. They were transformed from the inside out by the power of the gospel. And that's something that we have to relearn as the church in America. The dirty little secret in the church in America, going back to the 1800s, the Second Great Awakening, is this, that we don't always trust in the power of the gospel. We don't always trust in the power of the gospel. Sometimes what we trust in is our presentation formulas. Sometimes we, we trust in the creating of the right emotional settings. Sometimes if we can just pull on the heartstrings, we just push enough pressure, we can trust in effective events. And you know where that trust leads to? Fear. Fear. Did I, did I say it right? Was, was I eloquent enough as I presented the gospel? Was this event good enough? Or, you know, I don't know if I can do it. Maybe if I just, you know, help other people and then I'll let the paid professional share the gospel. They'll say it so much better than me. And it leads to fear. And when that happens, you know where fear leads to? I just got to be sure that they've made a decision. So raise your hand. Walk the aisle. Repeat after me this prayer. I, I got to know that I know that I know that you've been saved. Rather, trusting in the power of the gospel that God is at work to transform them from the inside out. And so we trust in the raised hand. We can trust in the prayer that was said. Jesus says, you will know they're mine by how they love one another. You'll know they're mine because of the fruit that is expressed through their life. But we say, well, that's too difficult. And so we back away from that. You remember what Jesus said when the rich young ruler comes up to him? And the rich young ruler, he says, hey, Jesus, what do I have to do to have eternal life? Jesus says, we've got to obey all the laws. The guy says, okay, I think I've done that. He says, well... Sell all that you have, give to the poor, then come follow me. 
The guy goes away sad. They can't do that. Lawyer comes up to Jesus. Jesus, what do I have to do to have eternal life? Jesus says, obey all the laws. Do you understand what they are? He says, yeah, I think so. I think I've got those down. Love, love God, love others, right? Jesus says, yeah. The guy says, okay, trying to justify himself, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan. The guy you would think is most, oh, that guy most definitely is not my neighbor. And we look at that and we say, well, isn't that worse? I mean, Jesus, what, what, what are you doing there? Here's the problem. We can create a situation where someone will respond, and it's not the inside out, God transforming them, it's the outside in. If Jesus would have simply said, hey, just believe in me, believe in God, what do they say? I'll do that. Yeah, no problem. I can do that. Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm waiting for you to get to a point where you can say, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm lost. I need to be found. I'm dead. I need to be made alive, and I can't do that. What was the purpose of the law? To show them that they can't keep the law. But these guys, they think, I've kept the law. I've got it. I'm good. And Jesus is trying to get them to a point to say, I can't do this without you. See, this is the transformation that takes place from the inside out. And then fruit develops. The main, the main fruit that we're called to make is, is other disciples. Go and make disciples. So you just got to look, what disciples have I made? Who can I point to and say, I have discipled this person. They follow Jesus better because I've been in their life. Change from the inside out. See, change from the outside in only results in momentary conformity to certain standards. And so then, when, so then we declare with fear, I think they're saved because when they were a kid, they made this commitment, and I know Jesus doesn't lose those who are his. But I've got no fruit to base that on. That, that's not trusting. That's, that's just fearing and hoping that something took place there. See, what is trust anyway? It is faith. It is this belief. The word picture biblically is something to stand on, something that is solid. See, our world has a truth problem, to be sure. But we don't have anything solid. Truth is relative now. So, hey, I don't have anything to stand on. As Christians, we know better. We can stand on the truth of Scripture. So when everything we do, we always take it back to Scripture. Am I living this way because the counsel of the Word of God compels me to? Or have I just decided, hey, this makes sense for me? With the truth problem also comes trust problems. Because everything is shifting. It's now people are hurt all over the place. Been hurt by other people. They've been hurt by institutions. Been hurt by men trying to create man-made movements of faith instead of experiencing the life-changing power of the gospel, instead of experiencing the richness of a dynamic relationship with the living God of the universe. And so in our culture, we have the privilege, it's a distinct privilege to be able to walk alongside people, hurting people, and reintroduce them to the biblical Jesus to reintroduce them to the God of the universe, to the transformative, transformative power of the gospel and seeing them change from the inside out. 
So how do we have this type of confidence in the gospel? We go back and study the scriptures. We go back and study the scriptures. We develop confidence by studying the scriptures. We're living in a day and age where many churches have abandoned the careful study and teaching of the scriptures. Why? Because it's easier just to read a verse out of the Bible anywhere, you know, pick a good verse. This one sounds nice. Let me read it. I'll say some nice things. I'll encourage you. I can, I can be eloquent about it. I can tell some good stories. We'll put a bow on, on the end of it, and you'll be encouraged and walk out, and it'll be good. But that doesn't do anything. That's just like reading another self-help book. You know, it's encouraging in the moment, but, but what really lasts, what really changes lives is the power of the Scriptures. It's careful study of the Scriptures, asking the questions, okay, what do I see? What does this mean? And how does it work in my life? The power of the Gospel is understanding the Scriptures so that we see how our story intersects with God's story and how He's using us. And this happens in all of life. All of life, there's no part of life that is separate from the power of the gospel. You know, it's uh, coming up on hurricane season now, right? And there's been earthquakes out west and, and this kind of thing. And so sometimes the question comes, why earthquakes? Why hurricanes? Why all these acts of nature? It, didn't God create nature anyway? I mean, what's going on in this world that he created why did these things happen? And I got to confess, in and of myself, I don't have an answer for that. Like, I don't have the logic for that. But I know that when I go back to the Bible and I begin to study scriptures and I read in Genesis 1 and 2 that, okay, this is not how God designed the world. That God didn't create a world with hurricanes and earthquakes. Now read how God created a world and he said it was good that it was in harmony with the Creator. But then I read Genesis 3, and how Adam and Eve in the garden ate the fruit, rebelled against God. And then I look at Romans 1, and I read that when Adam and Eve rebelled in the garden, it wasn't just Adam and Eve who fell, but all creation who fell alongside them. And now the natural world rebels against the Creator. And so hurricanes and earthquakes, it's the world rebelling against the Creator. See, my theories would never take me there. My, my logic would never get me there. But as I go back and I study the Scriptures, then my confidence grows. See, God is at work. Why? Because I know the other part of the story also. I can also then read Revelation. And I know that at the end of time, there will be a new heaven and a new earth and everything will be restored. That the creation will now be in harmony with her creator once again. No more tears, no more sufferings, no more earthquakes, no more hurricanes. Creation will submit to the creator and it will be good, even better somehow. But we learn that confidence as we stand on God's word. We, we learn to trust as we live out his story expressed through our lives in ways that are natural. Because you know the good news of the gospel, it just comes out. You can't keep it inside. Verse 35 on the Emmaus Road, these friends told the story about what happened to them 
right? Did, did you see that? They run back, hey, here's how Jesus appeared to us. That word there is told. Um, they told them, it's, it's critical. It's the word we, we get exegesis from. Literally, it means that they broke it down in a way that everybody could understand what God was doing. And so you have this incredible scene. These guys, they're on their way, right? Leaving Jerusalem, headed toward Emmaus. They're sad, they're confused, they just want to get out of there. They stop for the night because they're tired, whatever, it's probably getting late. They, they compel Jesus, say, stay with us. Jesus, he serves them, he prays for them, then the lights come on, there's that aha moment. And what do these guys do? They hightail it back to Jerusalem. I mean, they had already decided they were going to stay here for the night. It's probably late. Who knows what's going on? But at that moment, they get up and they say, man, we got to go back. We got to tell people. So you get the idea that they're running back and they run in and these people, they're already sitting around and they're sharing, right? They've heard the disciples say, hey, Jesus is alive. And these guys run in. Hey, guys, you won't believe it. Jesus, we saw Jesus. They're holding their breath probably. Just, hey, I've got to get this out. I can't, i got to explain. Jesus is alive, how he appeared to them. Because the good news of the gospel just has to get out. It can't be kept. Do you have stories like that that you just love to tell? Stories where Jesus has worked in your life in ways that, man, it just kind of blows your socks off sometimes. You can't believe it. And it just has to get out. And you've told those stories just time and time Again, and in telling them, it does something for your heart. You know, taking some counseling classes, one, one of the things that, that they teach you is that if there's uh, trouble in a relationship, a husband and wife are having some, some marital issues, that one of the things, a, a good practice often to do, is to have them remember those times when they, when they fell in love, when they first got married, and what all that was about, and, and everything that was going on in those days. Why? Because as you tell the stories of how you met your husband, how you met your wife, and what, like, what, what was going on then, and what your wedding was like, and how you proposed, and all these different things, what happens? You see your wife, you see your husband, and you just light up again, right? You just can't help but have that love. Same thing with kids, right? You tell the stories of your kids, and you see your kids, you just want to hug them again, all over again. Why? Because the story does something. It, it excites you. And as you share the good news of Jesus and what he's done in your life, what happens? You fall in love with your Savior all over again. Because you remember, oh, he did that. He showed, I don't even know how. I have no words other than God showed up. Makes your heart beat a little faster. Puts that little jump in your step. And, and then as you're sharing Jesus, you realize what's at stake. I'm sharing the power of the gospel. He's using me to impact people. This is incredible. The God of the universe is using me to impact people. And yet, you know what we often do is we deflect from the power of the gospel. We hide from the power of the gospel. Because we get scared. We get nervous. We fear people rather than God. We got, we got our own busy schedules. We got stuff going on. How do we overcome that? First of all, you've got to know the gospel. You've got to know it. You've got to be preaching it to yourself. 
You got got to remind yourself of the gospel. And you just say it to yourself every day. So the point where it just comes out naturally. And the gospel is this. In the Bible, the gospel is used to talk about the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, one. And then also, gospel meaning good news, it also refers to all of Scripture. So, the primary gospel here is that Salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And I'm reminding myself of that. I'm preaching that to myself all the time that, hey, this is grace. It's all grace. And grace, that's God's part. That's his initiating that we're lost, right? Say it all the time. Jesus wasn't lost. He didn't need us to find him. We were lost. Jesus came from heaven to earth to find us. But God initiated that. It's all about what God did for these two guys. It's not what they could do. They couldn't do anything. The, the prophets put it this way. Salvation belongs to God. The gospel tells us that not only did we make poor decisions, not only were we in need, not only had we made some mistakes, that it goes much deeper than that. That without Jesus Christ, we are enemies of God and we are spiritually dead. That we have nothing to offer, we are spiritually dead. Dead means unresponsive, right? And so the, go- the, uh, uh, the gospel is this, John says, is to believe in the one he has sent. To respond in faith. And that faith also comes from God. That's still God's faith. He gives us the faith. We don't have the faith, right? Being spiritually dead means you are unresponsive. I don't have the faith in me to respond. I pray that God gives me that faith, that God gives other people the faith. He must provide the faith. So we have this dangerous tendency to want to add to the gospel. We want to add our good works Good works don't save us. They are a fruit of God working in us. We, we, we want to make ourselves comfortable. So with the fruit of the Spirit, it's one fruit, right? The works of the flesh are plural. The fruit of the Spirit is singular. But see, we, we try to make it plural sometimes so that we can feel a little better. Say, well, I've got this fruit, this fruit, this fruit. I just don't have all these. That's not the Spirit. That's just you. The fruit of the Spirit is singular, one fruit, and it has all these characteristics. But we, we want to add to the gospel. We, we want to add, well, if I have this, I'm getting there, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. There's good deeds. It's morality. It can be good. Churchianity, going through the most, whatever you want to call it, that's not the gospel. But there's also this other problem, this other dangerous tendency that's more and more popular these days, and that is we want to subtract from the gospel as well. Peter himself did this. Do you remember? Jesus started explaining the cross to them. Jesus stands up and says, no, Lord, that will never happen to you. I'm not going to let you die a murderer's death on a cross. That will never happen to you. And what does Jesus say? Oh, Peter, thank you so much for like standing in the gap for me and not letting that happen to me. Like, I so appreciate your love for me. No. He says, get behind me, Satan. 
You're not thinking with the, you're thinking with the thoughts of man, not with the reality of God. Why? Because Jesus knows, hey, we're treacherous traitors. We're tangled and twisted in, in, in the way that we view our lives. We're in this mess that we cannot possibly get out of, and the cross is the only way. And to subtract the cross, to subtract the death, burial, and resurrection in favor of turning to a tolerant Jesus, in favor of turning to a new beginning, in favor of just turning over a new leaf, and favor of this uh, era of what would Jesus do as opposed to what did Jesus do, the power of the gospel. See, we, we, we want to ask the question that neuters the gospel. What would Jesus do? That disregards the cross. That, that is social liberal theology that has crept into the churches back in the early 1900s. And it neuters the gospel. Why? Because Jesus had to pay the price, the ultimate price for us. What Jesus did is far more important than what Jesus would do. See, we can forget the power of the story. We can assume the gospel. Oh, this person looks nice. They're friendly. They seem to have a moral behavior. They're probably Christians, right? Dangerous, because that's the first step in losing the gospel. We must be faithful to engage people relationally. And we come alongside people and we engage them and we love them not simply to see them saved. We love them because we are saved. And there's a difference there. And then naturally we share the story because the story comes out. It can't be kept. The good news of what Jesus has done for us, it just can't be kept. And so it comes out, and as we remind ourselves of this story all the time, naturally it just gets expressed. It's the good news. It's the whole gospel, and it's the power of the gospel, and we trust in that, and it comes out because that's just who we are. And if you aren't in the habit of sharing the power of the gospel and entrusting the power of the gospel, you are on a very slippery slope because the power of the gospel will become assumed. And once the gospel is assumed, the next thing, it becomes confused. Why does it become confused? Because everyone has a gospel. Right? This church says this is the gospel. This church says this is the good news. You know, these people say this. Oprah says that. Pop culture says this. Conservatives say this, liberals say this, my friends say this. And then what happens? We come up with our own gospel. We take the bits and pieces we like and we put it together and we say, no, this is the gospel, but it's the gospel of our own making. So we got to go back to the scriptures and say, God, what have you compelled us to live? What have you said to be true that we can stand on? And if you think that's not an issue, you got to go back and you got to read the New Testament letters of Paul and you got to watch how many times when he asks a question that basically is this, what gospel are you following? What gospel are you trusting in? And he's pleading with people, why are you listening to something other than what I preach to you? Does it sound too good to be true? Maybe, but it is true. 
that you have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. And any other gospel is not the gospel. And so he pleads with people throughout the New Testament asking this question. Why? Because we all have a tendency to say, well, I've got these preferences. I think things ought to be this way. I like this. I'm comfortable with that. Rather than just looking and saying, okay, what does the Bible say? What am I building my faith on anyway? It's God at work. And as we are faithful to lift him up, Jesus says that he will draw all men to himself. We don't have to draw him. Draw them to him. Jesus says, you lift me up, I'll do the drawing. I'll do the saving. He does it. I love what happens next in this story. The friends, they're, they're in the room telling everybody the good news. And then Jesus himself walks into the room. He comes into the room where these guys are with the other disciples. And he says, shalom, peace, life is with you. Life be upon you. And here he is, verse 45. You can look at it here. It says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. You see, Jesus himself is retelling the story. He's telling the story. And, make note of that word and, and the repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. See, Jesus himself is telling his followers, you cannot separate the message of the gospel from the mission of the gospel. Here's the message. Jesus died and rose again. He is alive. And here's the mission. You go out and proclaim it. You live the life. I mean, this is such a great story. Hey, here's what God has done for you. Now go preach it to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. Do you think he had to tell these two guys twice? And now he tells us again. Now he reminds us again that he is alive. And then we get to go out and we get to befriend people. We get to love them, not simply to see them saved, but we love them because we have been saved. And we share the story of what God has done in our life. Why? Because it's natural. It just comes out. It's who we are. We get to go out. We get to share Jesus. We get to impact people. And we get to trust that God will do the work. Heavenly Father, thank you that you do the work. <laughs> because if it were left to us, it would never get done. We can't do it. We can't save ourselves, much less save anybody else. But God, even in that helplessness, you still invite us to be a part of the process. You still call us to be your ambassadors. You still send us out to love people, to share, to be the light so that other people have that aha moment and they will come to know you and they will be transformed from the inside out. Not just momentary conformity to some certain standard, but but transform to a dynamic relationship of what it looks like to live a life transformed by the power of the gospel through your son, Jesus Christ. So God, forgive us for when we trust in ourselves, for when we fear, instead of just simply trusting in you, in the power 
of the work of Jesus and the power of your word to live our lives. Help us to meet some friends this week, to walk alongside some new friends and engage with them, to, to ask some questions, to listen well. Help us to look for opportunities where we're invited just to share a little more. And God, we pray that as we model this life, that more and more people will come to know you. So we need your help to do this. We ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom we love. Amen.